So our, our scripture text for today is Mary's Song of Praise. Um, it's often called the Magnificat because um, that's the first word in the Latin. Uh, Magnificat anime mea dominum. Um, Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's in response to the angel coming. The angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Greetings, favored one. And Luke tells us that, that Mary was perplexed by this. She was troubled, disturbed, and, and she wondered what it all could mean. Uh, Tony Campolo tells of a time when, when he went to uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, he went down there because he wanted to check on um, the, uh, the young people who were serving as missionaries there in, in, in some of their missionary programs. And you know, Haiti was in a, a desperate, desperate place. And so uh, the work was just really hard. And, and so he just went, he wanted to check on them and make sure that they were holding up okay and that they were spiritually okay and uh, emotionally okay. And so he tells like, at the, at the end of a day, uh, just a, a long day of ministry, he was exhausted, he was peopled out. And he goes to a French restaurant in downtown uh, Port-au-Prince and he, he just has this sense of such relief as he settles in to his chair in the restaurant. Uh, he was sitting beside the window um, because he wanted to be able to, to see uh, you know, all the activities on the street outside. Um, so uh, the waiter comes and, and, and brings his food and, and uh, sets it down in, in front of him and he picks up his knife and his fork and, and he, he starts to, to dig in. When he looks over to his right and, and out the window he sees these four little faces their noses pressed against the window, just staring at his food. Uh, it, it was four of the, of the street children, um, hundreds of, of hungry, even starving boys and girls uh, on the streets of Haiti. Well, the waiter notices his discomfort and immediately comes over and lowers the shades and blocks this disturbing view of, of hungry children. And, and the waiter apologizes and, and says, don't let them bother you. Enjoy your meal. I can't believe that this year is, is almost over, that it's come to an end. A lot has happened this year. It, it started out in, in January with, with joy, literally with great joy. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, that's always the weekend that we have our youth winter retreat. And so hundreds of youth and adults are in Black Mountain for, for the retreat and our theme was joy. And we spent an entire weekend uh, worshiping and, and um, being joyful and, and uh, talking about joy and gratitude and it was amazing. A few weeks later, um, I had the joyful experience of, of flying to New Orleans with, with my son Joey and my son Ross and we ran the New Orleans, Mar New Orleans Marathon. It was February the 9th. The very next day though, uh, that's the day my mom died. You know, and I, and I find now all the way at the end of this year, I'm, I'm still dealing with that. A lot of you know about that sort of thing. Um, I, I have this, uh, this stack of cards. Um, I've, I've twined them up. I'm not getting rid of them because um, they're from you. I'm just going to put them in the corner of my shed, I think, and it's just always going to remind me that in my moment of grief, 
this is how alone I am not, you know. I've got you guys. Um, well, just a few weeks after my mom died, the world shut down. And that's been a big story of our year. A few months after that, the world caught on fire. I don't know what your experience has been, but for me, it was like a waiter came over to my table and lifted the shades. I woke up to stuff this summer that should, should never have been hidden from me. That fact alone bothers me as much as anything else. So. I've found myself uh, marching in a Black Lives Matter uh, protest. Um, I, a I asked my son Ross to, to make me a, a Black Lives Matter uh, face mask, and he did. And I started wearing it everywhere. Um, I noticed people noticing me wear it. I know that I've uh, offended some people. Um, you know, I, I don't want to offend you. I love you. Um, but it doesn't really bother me if, if I make people uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable, I'm bothered, and I think we need to be, and, and I think God is disturbed. I know that God is, is bothered by it all. Um, on September the 15th, I was just sitting in my living room, minding my own business, uh, reading the news, and you know um, how when you're reading the news on your computer, uh, a lot of times there's a sidebar and there, there's a lot of, of news opportunities that you can click on um, on your screen and uh, off to the side was one of those things one of the little boxes maybe you've seen it. it it says on this date so in history and on September the 15th on this date it took me to Birmingham Alabama well I knew about the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in 1963 I knew that a lot of dynamite was used by the KKK and like uh, maybe a quarter till 11 on a Sunday morning. It was Youth Sunday at 16th Street Baptist Church. And the young girls were putting on their choir robes in the basement Sunday school class. Uh, they were down in the restroom getting ready to go up for the, for the morning worship service because they had roles to play and they were excited about it. And so Addie Mae Collins and uh, Cynthia Wesley and Carol Robertson and Denise McNair, uh, they died that day, 14 years old. Denise was 11 years old. Um, Addie Mae's sister uh, was blinded. 20 others were wounded and taken to the hospital. I, I knew that history. But what I didn't know was that this Klan leader, Robert Chambliss, he was arrested. He was fined hundred dollars and spent 30 days in jail because he had dynamite and I remember sitting on September 15th of this year in my little corner of the world saying well what about uh, four black lives that were murdered you know a lot of times we'll say well that was a long time ago I a couple years ago, someone called me after something that I said in a sermon um, and really kind of gave me a way to go. You know, like, there's no more racism. That's a thing of the past. Now, talking about how this person had friends who were black and on and on. 
Well, you know, what about Ahmaud Aubrey? That was February 23rd, this year. What about Breonna Taylor? That was March 13th, 2020. And the world knows about George Floyd. That was May 25th. That's when the, uh, the fire started burning. And then just this fall, I began to ask, what about my bank, uh, Wells Fargo? I learned uh, just uh, in our Wednesday night programming, not too long ago, um, that uh, Wells Fargo, the Charlotte Observer, August 25th article, said that Wells Fargo is having to pay like almost $8 million because of the, the discrimination that, that they've uh, held against uh, black and, and female job applicants in, in, in every area of their employment. And then I discovered that in 2012, they had to pay $175 million. The Justice Department said that was the, the largest or the second largest payout by a financial institution ever. And you know why? Because they were discriminating uh, against minorities who were borrowing money. They were charging them more, uh, higher interest rates, more fees, and they were like shuttling them to, to subprime rates when they qualified for better rates. $175 million. My bank. <laughs> Not my bank anymore. And I'm writing a letter to someone and to let them know why. I'm not banking there anymore. And I'm going to keep wearing my mask. So today's text is Mary's song of praise. N.T. Wright says uh, that it's a, a hand-clapping, foot-stomping kind of song. That it's one of Christianity's most famous songs. It's been whispered in monasteries and chanted in cathedrals and uh, sung by churches um, in the evening by candlelight. It's even been put to trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. It's a song about God. It's a song about revolution. Fred Craddock, in his commentary on, on the book of Luke, he says, in this song, we have a characteristic of the final judgment of God in which there is a complete reversal of fortunes. The powerful and rich and privileged will change places with the powerless and the poor. And this eschatological reversal has already begun. God's choice of Mary is evidence of it. So, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we light a candle, and we call it love. Now, love is not just a, a, a warm, fuzzy emotion. Um, it's not just words and, and slogans and signs. Love is a verb. So, through all this, you know, good white people like me will respond and say, all lives matter. Well, nobody's saying that they don't. I remember this summer, one of my kids shared a little TikTok video with me, and in this video, 
there's this young woman and um, behind her on the screen is, is a house that's on fire and it's burning. And she, she looks off the screen and says, hey, come help me put out this fire. And then the little video switches to the next screen and it's the same girl just playing a different character. And behind her is a, is a fine looking house that's not on fire. And she says, well, what about my house? And it goes back to the, to the first girl. And she says, is your house on fire? Well, no, but my house matters. All houses matter. And then the video ends with just this look of <laughs> utter confusion a comment like that. You know, someone said in response to someone like me, all lives will matter as soon as black lives matter. And it's true. I've learned a lot this summer. I really appreciate um, the work that's been done by our leaders in the NAACP and our leaders in our reconciling ministries here at First Methodist. Um, they worked hard this year, and uh, Becky Brown's leadership too, to put together this, this fairly lengthy program where we read books together and we had programs together. And um, African-American uh, folks from Haywood County agreed to share their stories and to answer difficult questions. And uh, those of you who participated in this, uh, you know, it, it's, it's difficult for us to hear, but important for us to hear. We need to, to be disturbed and, and we need to be bothered. You know, one of the, the things that um, uh, really struck me was how African-Americans have had no opportunity to, to build generational wealth like the rest of us. Not only have they had to endure the, the centuries of, of slavery and then go through Jim Crow, but like even to, even to this present day, uh, what banks do and what uh, real estate agents do, the whole redlining thing, um, I didn't know about that. So Scott wrote about it in his blog one week this summer just about how his grandfather was able to come home from World War II and get the GI Bill and go to school and uh, I didn't know that the GI Bill wasn't available to African Americans who fought bravely in World War II. On and on it goes. That was eye-opening for me. I'm still disturbed by it all. And so I'm grateful for the leadership who put this program together. Our last session was on Wednesday, the first Wednesday in November, a few weeks ago. And another thing I'm grateful for is the way they ended it. It didn't just end with information, with this awakening. It ended with this question, what's next? And with a commitment that something will come from this. Thank you for that. A list was created, and on this list for First Methodist were things like, well, what about scholarships? We're, we're really good with, with providing funds for education. Uh, John Wesley was all about it. United Methodist Church is all about it, and we live into that. 
It's, it's a, a high value of ours so that we contemplate this idea of maybe a, a really good scholarship for our, our African-American friends in our community. Conversations about um, our, our local government and being a presence with our local government and uh, helping to ensure that all of our neighborhoods have, have equal attention so that all of our neighborhoods have the sidewalks that they need and the playgrounds that they need um, and that, that education is, is equal for everyone and that health care is equal for everyone, that we, that we put pressure and accountability on our banks. Like, what if we, who have so many endowments for things, what if we had an endowment that would enable people to put down payments on their own home and begin now uh, to build this generational wealth? That was one of the ideas. I feel pretty pumped about that stuff. John the Baptist said, there's one who's coming. I'm not even worthy to, to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus tells this story. It's a story about a rich man and some guy named Lazarus. And this rich man, every day, he sits at this fantastic feast. And he, he just eats all this amazing food, dressed in the finest of clothes, in, the, in this fine house, at the gates of, of his estate, is Lazarus, living in abject poverty, hungry, starving, Jesus says that his, his body is covered in sores and that the dogs would come and lick them. He would give anything just to have the, the crumbs, the, the leftovers, maybe just even a, a bone to gnaw on from this rich man's table, but he never gets it because no one ever sees him. No one ever cares for him. And then Jesus says that both of these men die. This poor man, Lazarus, uh, he goes to the, to the bosom of Abraham. And this rich man... It doesn't turn out so good for him. It's a sobering story. You know why? Because there's no talk of murder. There's no talk of adultery. There's, there's no talk of theft. What did this guy do to warrant such judgment? Best I can tell, he just sat at his fine table and he lowered the shades. Today, Mary sings her song, and in just a few days, she'll hold this new baby close, and the love candle will begin to burn. Amen.